Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. If you're using a copy of the Church Bible, you'll find that on page 861. I know that you're going to find it a great help to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me this morning, Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. And before we do uh, look at this together, let me again pray for us briefly. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you take your word and you work it deep in us, that you accomplish all the purposes for which you send it. We pray that you would accomplish those purposes in our minds and in our hearts, that you would convict us in the deepest recesses of our being, that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the Lord Jesus in all of his healing and redeeming power, that you would open the ears of our hearts that we might hear him in all of his compassionate um, and, and wise dealings with us. We pray that you would give us hearts that understand that we might turn back to you and be healed of all of our sin and rebellion. And so we pray, our God, that you would accomplish these and so many other purposes among us by the preaching of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. As Luke has moved now into the ministry of Jesus and He is moving further into the public ministry of Jesus. He now writes, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he he would withdraw to desolate places and pray, the grass withers, the flower fades, But the word of God endures forever. Well, Kent Hughes, uh, the former minister at College Church in uh, the Wheaton, Illinois area, tells the story of a man who came to him for counseling. This man had lived without any children. He had been married for many years, and his wife had died. And as Hughes tells the story, this man was pouring out his heart about his loneliness Uh, to Dr. Hughes, and he said that ever since his wife had died, he would go to the barber once a week to get a haircut just to feel the touch of someone else. Now, when I heard that, I thought, what a powerful story um, of the isolation and aloneness that so many feel in this life. Now, that man certainly could have gone and made friends. He could have gone to uh, dinners, he could have gone into other assemblies, he had avenues for um, social fellowship and ecclesiastical fellowship. Nevertheless, it really highlights for us the sad condition of men in this fallen world and the awfulness of isolation. Now, that story has really nothing to this story. This story that Luke gives us, this account about Jesus' first interaction with a leper. Jesus will have many interactions with lepers. 
And yet in this first interaction with the leper, we see that Jesus is the powerful redeemer who can do what no one else can do, can restore a man's life to him wholesale with a word, can, can remove all of the uncleanness, all of the depravity, all of the waywardness, all of the isolation, all of the um, aloneness and alienation, all of the cut-offness, as it were, both from God and from other people. But we also see the great compassion of Jesus. You see that Jesus in this account is so full of compassion that he does what no one else would do. He reaches out and he touches the leper in the work of healing this leper. And then you also see the great wisdom of Jesus in sending this leper to the priest in order to be healed. Jesus does for this man so much. He does everything for this man. And in doing that, he sets out for us this beautiful picture of what we need in the Lord Jesus, what we really are by nature, what is so incurable about us, what what our sin has done to us, to each one of us, to every one of us, irrespective of who we are or where we've been, and, and what we need in both a powerful and a compassionate and an all-wise Savior. That's the three things we're going to see this morning as we look at this short passage. We're going to consider the power of Christ in cleansing, we're going to consider the compassion of Christ in touching, and then we're going to finally consider the wisdom of Christ in law-keeping. We'll notice that uh, Luke tells us he has gone out into the cities. Most of the public ministry of Jesus up till this point has been lived in the synagogues. He has been going city to city from his own hometown, but he has been going into the synagogues. He has been preaching the gospel. He's been casting out demons. He has been healing the sick, but he's been doing it in places of worship. Now, that is not insignificant. We have already talked about the significance of Jesus' high regard for public worship. Why is the corporate gathered assembly of the saints every Lord's Day the highlight of Jesus' ministry? Because it is the most important thing. It is the thing that God holds above all other things, as it were, for his people to be gathered together, to be singing his praises. The The word church, ecclesia, means the gathered assembly, set apart from the world, brought to the mountain as it were to worship him. And Jesus has shown us how important that is by being in those synagogues, preaching God's word. He has shown us the the primacy of preaching. He has shown us everything that God has appointed and he is embodying for us as God made man, God in the flesh. He is showing us by his very example what is of supreme importance. He has also been in the homes And on the boats of his disciples, he has begun to gather that apostolic band and he has shown the fellowship and the intimacy that he is going to have with them in the places where they live and where they work and in what he does in teaching them about their work and in commissioning them. Now, what's interesting about this passage is Jesus is now out in the public arena of the cities. He is not in the synagogue. He is not in the homes of his disciples. He is now going deep into the heart of the cities of Israel. He is going where the people live. He is going where the outcasts are. He is going to the places of darkness. He is going to the places of uncleanness. Remember, the synagogue was a place that was to be holy and clean and pure unto the Lord. That's why you had all of the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament between clean and unclean, who could go into the synagogue, what needed to happen in order for you to be in the place of worship. You know, we have lost that in our day. We have such a flippancy 
And, and I, am, I am just as guilty, perhaps, as you are uh, about this, that, that going to worship is just, yeah, I guess I'll go to worship. Um, that is not the mindset God ever wanted for his people. Um, worship was to be the supreme, set-apart, holy, and exalted thing of entering into the presence of the true and the living God and coming before him adorned in holiness, even adorned in his holiness. And among those that were excluded from synagogue worship were lepers. Now that, this all kind of ties together. Um, Why is it important that Jesus is meeting a leper as he moves out into those places away from the synagogues and out where the people live? It's important because we are seeing a man who has been entirely alienated and cut off and pronounced to be unclean by the high priest He is not invited into the worship service. You know, we sometimes mistakenly uh, pick up that mantra, come as you are. Well, he could not come as he was. God would not let him come as he was. It's not because of what he was wearing or wasn't wearing. It's because of what he had, the disease, the outward external disease. And if you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14 and you read in detail, and I would challenge you to do that. The absolute precise details about the one who had contracted leprosy and what they had to do in going to the priest and, um, and showing themselves to the high priest, being examined by the high priest, being quarantined for seven days, then being brought back, being examined again to see whether the, the leprosy had spread to such an extent that it was irremediable. And one of the things about this disease, and we know so little about it, some have likened it to Hansen's disease today where... These sores um, ultimately affect body parts. I think that there might be validity to that. There is, a, there is an external deterioration of the whole of the person in whatever this disease was in those days in that form. Um, the rabbis used to say that it was as easy to cleanse leprosy as it was to raise the dead. Very interesting, actually, when you go and look at the Levitical law in chapter 13 and 14. No priest had the power to heal a leper. It's actually a misconception some people have. If a man had contracted leprosy, if a woman had contracted it, they had to go to the priest. They had to show themselves to the priest. The priest has to go through this ritual of considering how extensive this is. And if it was thoroughly extensive, the priest would have to proclaim unclean, unclean over the person. And the person would have to cry out, unclean, unclean himself. Listen to this, Leviticus 13.5. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head made bare. He shall cover his mouth and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now that means that this man could only dwell with other people who had the same disease as him. And so in an unclean colony of untouchables, this man would have his whole life experience. Jeff Thomas really captures this picture about one who had contracted a leper. I want you to think about this. He says, the leper lived an isolated life, abandoned and feared by the world, able to peep from the brow of the hill at his dear wife and children in the valley below, but he might not sit with them. They were forbidden from greeting him, 
as that might encourage him to go running to them. He lived as an outcast. If he turned the bend in a country lane or if a shepherd boy searched for his sheep and came across him, that leper immediately had to shout, unclean, unclean, and drive the boy away. He would see people's horror, hear their children crying for fear, witness all the people running off the path to get out of his way. For him, there was no sitting at the city gate in the warm evenings or in the village well talking with the people. Worship at the synagogue was behind a wall out of the sight of other worshipers, and there was no attendance at marriages and funerals. Lepers had to stay far away from healthy folk, especially if they were upwind, 100 yards away. Now, I want you to get this, because on one hand you can say, yeah, I've heard that, I knew that growing up, I knew lepers weren't clean. They could talk to no one that they cared about. They could not come into the presence of God. They were essentially living in a colony of death. Now, you may say, well, are you saying that this is a picture of death? Yes. Are you saying this is a picture of sin? Yes. I'm saying it's a picture of your sin. I'm saying it's a picture of you, um, whoever you are. Uh, I'm not saying that this individual in this account sinned in a certain way and so therefore inflicted upon himself and deserved that specific infliction for specific sin. But I am saying that you are this leper by nature. Um, You are. You are the unclean one by nature. I am the unclean one by nature. Um, When Isaiah picks up the analogy and the illustration of the uncleanness of God's people in their natural depravity in chapter 1, he he captures it with the picture of leprosy. He says, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faints, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed up or bound up, they cannot be soothed with ointment. That is what we, we are to say, that is me by nature, I am the leper. Um, It's not enough to say, I know people whose lives have been ravaged by sin. I know people whose lives aren't what they should be. I know people that don't have homes as together as my home is and my family is. And I know that they put their lives in shambles and Jesus can help them. And if that's what you're doing right now, you are missing the point of this account. That is not what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to say, I am the leper. This is what my sin has done to me. My sin alienates me from God. My sin alienates me from other people. The only people I can live, in, live with are people who live like me and look like me in depravity and in spiritual sickness by nature. That's, that's the point of this account. Um, as wonderful as it is that Jesus will heal this man, and it is wonderful, it is a picture of what Jesus will do for the one that knows how unclean he or she is by nature, and only for the one who knows how unclean he or she is by nature. This man feels something of his depravity. Notice that when the man comes to Jesus, and I want to talk about that in a second, because he's not supposed to approach anyone. He's not supposed to go to somebody. He's not, he's not supposed to say, uh, reach out and fall down in front of someone. He's supposed to be alienated from everyone except other lepers. But, but when he comes to Jesus, he doesn't say, Lord, if you are willing, you can clean me of my leprosy and heal me. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He speaks in spiritual categories. He understands. All the other lepers didn't come to Jesus. 
Presumably, there was a colony of lepers to which this man belonged. They had perhaps heard about Jesus. They had perhaps heard of his first sermon in the synagogue. Remember in Nazareth, chapter 4, the last chapter, and Jesus is preaching in his hometown. In his hometown, people don't get their uncleanness. They don't get it. They don't think they're lepers. And remember, he pulls out the illustration of Naaman the Syrian. And he says, look, there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha, and only to one was the prophet sent to Naaman the Syrian. And you know that story about Naaman. And he, he had to go down and he had to wash seven times in the Jordan. And he came up and the Bible says his skin was like a baby's skin. Oh my, for baby skin. <laughs> I feel that. Oh my. <laughs> what a healing. What a new birth God gave him. And I often wonder if perhaps this leper had heard as people talked about what Jesus had been preaching and teaching that he had heard, this is one that can heal lepers because no one can heal a leper. I am too far gone. But notice that he's the only one that comes to Jesus. No one else from his colony comes. Isn't that interesting? All the other lepers think, well, yes, my case is hopeless. Yes, I'm, a, I'm in an awful situation. I'm in an awful condition. I, I am in a place of death, as it were. But they do not recognize the spiritual analogy They don't recognize what they are spiritually, so they don't come to Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I I heard once someone say, Jesus can do much with your desperation. And, And as I thought about that, and I thought about the gospel accounts, Jesus only helps those that are desperate. He will not help you if you don't feel your desperation. He only helps those that feel their helplessness, their alienation, their depravity, their uncleanness. This man feels that. He feels unclean. He knows that he's not what he should be. He knows that he is everything that God has borne witness, and this is the one that comes. This is the one that comes to Jesus. And notice Luke tells us, there came a man full of leprosy, as far gone. Here Dr. Luke is focusing on how bad this man's condition is he is full of leprosy and he comes when he saw jesus he fell on his face and he begged him lord if you will you can make me clean now the first thing to notice is he knows that there's something special about jesus he knows that jesus is extraordinary he knows that jesus can do for him everything that he needs he knows that jesus can heal him physically he knows that jesus can heal him spiritually and he comes and If you put together what Luke says, he fell down before him. If you take that with what Mark said, he fell on his knees. And you take it with what Matthew says, he worshipped him. You realize what coming to Jesus in desperation looks like. It looks like falling down and worshipping Jesus out of great recognition of what we are by nature and a clear sight of who he is by grace. This man has already been a recipient of grace. This is the process by which Jesus is going to save and heal this man. Um, Notice that Jesus is going to heal this man with a word. It's the great I will. The power of Jesus is demonstrated again by the word. It's always the word, isn't it? Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law with a fever by rebuking it. He had healed the demon-possessed man by rebuking the demon. He, had, he has healed with a word. He has authority with his word. And, and now he comes with the word of his promise. 
Notice that the man's request is very important leading up to Jesus healing him. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean out. There have been some that have said, this man is believing, and he, he is believing that Jesus is able to heal him. But there's some unbelief there. He should have come and he should have said, Lord, make me clean. I actually disagree with them. I think there's everything appropriate. John Calvin will actually pick up on this and say, you know, there's no special promise that Jesus is going to heal this man of his physical ailment. There's no special promise that Jesus is going to do that. He didn't do it for everyone. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't save everyone. And yet there's everything right about what this man is doing. He is coming to Jesus and he is saying, Lord, I know that you are able. And I know that if you are willing, you can do what I know only you can do. There's something, there's a humble uh, resignation to the sovereignty of the Savior. There is a humble resignation saying, you are the God of Israel. You are Yahweh. You will do what you want. You owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. You know, on Judgment Day, um, many are going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you, because they thought that he owed them something. Uh, Many are going to hear, depart from me, because they didn't come to Jesus in humble resignation, saying, Lord, You are able, have mercy on me, if you are willing. Make me clean. Lord, I know that you're able. I believe, help my unbelief. And all those other ways that sinners approach Jesus, and everyone that approaches Jesus that way in the Gospels gets healed. That's the marvelous thing, isn't it? There's not one person who went to Jesus that said, Lord, if you are able, and if you are willing, I know you're able, if you're willing, there's not one person who did that that didn't get healed. Jesus loves to display his power when his people come to him in absolute helplessness, know that they're beyond any remedy whatsoever spiritually, and they cry out, Lord, I know that you are able to heal me. If you are willing, make me whole. And he makes them whole. Um, Jesus gives that great I will. Charles Spurgeon says that the I will of Jesus is greater than the I will of the greatest emperor who has ever walked the face of the earth because the I will of Jesus drives away all forces of darkness, overthrows our sin, conquers Satan's kingdom, cleanses the leper. I will. Isn't that amazing? That's all he says. I will be cleansed. Now, I want to ask you before I look here at the compassion of Jesus, if you have ever come to a place where you've recognized how unclean you are. Um, Not just intellectually said, I know I'm really sinful, but really felt in your souls how unclean you are. That is absolutely fundamental to being redeemed by Jesus, is knowing I am just like this leper. Now, leprosy was interesting. If you read in... The uh, 13th chapter of Leviticus about the priest examining the man, you see that there's this incremental pattern by which the sores multiplied on the person. They would um, have to shave the person's eyebrows and hair and dip them into water, and then they'd have to examine them again to see if any of the sores had gone away. But in the case of a man like this man, 
who externally is full of leprosy, having eaten away probably his teeth and his his jaw perhaps and his his fingers, parts of his fingers and other parts of his body. And, and he was essentially walking death. What you have is you have the externalization of the internal problem, just like with sin. So, you know, some people say, well, my life's not that bad because I don't look like that person over there. Well, that's just because your wicked depravity hasn't manifested it. You've, you've been able to, like, hold that in and paint yourself like a, like a swine paints paints uh, lipstick, uh, some might put lipstick on a swine, and it doesn't look as bad. It doesn't look as bad because we're more dignified. We have our life more together. We're holding our jobs. We've got a nicer home. These things can be all just bandages. And, and yet with the leprosy and the priest examining the leprosy, there was in that a picture that this is what all men are and this is what all men will one day look like and do look like. And... So I challenge you not to think, first and foremost, this morning, do I know people whose lives are in the gutter, who look like this man, and do do I think, I know Jesus can help them? Because that's true. You should think that. But you should think it about yourself, and you should say, I am that man, and I must go to Jesus, and I must cry out to be cleansed. Um... Secondly, the compassion of Jesus. You know, this is one of those beautiful pictures. No one could touch a leper according to the law. Now, I don't think that's because leprosy spread by uh, contagious interaction with other people. That's a mistake. Um, In fact, Naaman the Syrian had leprosy, and he's going on about his business as the chief army operator in Syria. And the little servant girl, remember, goes and hears about Elisha and and sends Gehazi and says, look, there's a man in Israel that can heal you. He's going on about his day. He's not isolated. This is unique in Israel. God had set this apart as a unique picture that a sinner cannot come into the presence of God or other people. This is what sin does. This is sin. This is what we are. And yet here's Jesus. And he comes and the man is bowed down before him. And Jesus puts his hand on him. This, I want you to think about this. This may have been the first touch this man had had in 30, 40 years from anyone other than a leprous colony dweller. Imagine what this man must have felt. I told you that story about the, the man that went to the barber to get his hair cut just because he was so lonely and missed human contact. Imagine what this man would have felt like. How can your heart not break? If it, You know, I'm thinking about this this week and... I think if, if your heart doesn't break over this, there's something deeply wrong in your soul. Not, not feeling compassion for this man in his state of abject poverty and aloneness and no human touch. And here the Savior touches him. He didn't have to touch him. He wanted to touch him. Jeff Thomas says, um, what does the God of heaven look like. He looks like Jesus reaching out and touching a leper. That's what the God of nature looks like. The God who had said that this man couldn't be touched is now reaching out and touching him. Now, that's a picture. When I start to feel guilt over my sin and I start to feel condemnation and I go to the Lord and and I cry out, Lord, if you're willing, you know, 
forgive me, cleanse me. You know, you died to cleanse me. And, and we pray these prayers to the Lord. And we sometimes forget that the same Jesus to whom we're praying is the same Jesus that reached out his hand in great compassion and touched this leper. It's the same Jesus. He reaches out his hands to sinners that fall before him. And he says, I'm willing, be cleansed, be forgiven. I will make you whole again. Every time you go back to him, I will make you whole again. I love that promise in 1 John where John says, if any of us sins, if we confess our sins, you know, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In a real sense, this man is a picture of that latter blessing. It's not just forgiveness that Jesus is giving by way of compassion. It's cleansing. Isn't that wonderful that the compassionate heart of Jesus is committed to you as a believer, not just to provide for the forgiveness of your sins, but the cleansing of your person, the renewal of your person. I mean, this leper who Jesus is going to heal with a word, this leper is a picture of death, as I said. And, you know, when they went to the priest in Leviticus and they went through the cleansing Uh, If a man had been cured of leprosy and the priest determined that he was no longer unclean and the priest pronounced over him that he was clean, again, he had to shave his eyebrows and his hair and, and he had to go into the water and he had to come up from the water. It was as if he was being reborn. It was a picture of rebirth. Um, that, that was how someone was announced to be clean. And Jesus in his compassion says, I am the one that gives the new birth. I am the one that makes whole. I am the one that cleans. I am the one that redeems out of depravity and out of a lifestyle of alienation. I am the one that, that's the only reason Jesus came into this world. He did not come to save the righteous, but sinners. He did not come to save the clean, but the unclean. He is the only clean one. Everyone else is unclean. Now, this is marvelous. If you ask the question, did Jesus contract uncleanness ceremonially? By touching this leper, the answer is yes. On the other hand, we can say no. He didn't didn't contract the leprosy. He continued to be allowed to go into the synagogues. He wasn't ostracized through much of his public ministry. But when Jesus is nailed to the cross... He is showing that all the uncleanness represented by that leprosy that represents our sin was imputed to him. And the clean one became unclean so that the unclean ones can become clean. Um, I heard the story about a man who used to work with prostitutes and the homeless and uh, social outcasts and... As the story goes, his wife used to say that he, he was never bothered by their smell Um, where most of you, I'm sure, would be. I've worked with the homeless, and that smell can be pretty daunting from feet away. But this man was sort of unmoved by the smell. Um, And as the story went, uh, he would often say the reason he wasn't bothered by it because he knew he was just like them. That what they exhibited outwardly, just like the leprous man, was what he knew inwardly, that he gave off a stench of sin and unrighteousness before the Lord and before others. And so it was easy for him to care for and love them. And yet, uh, this man would often say, 
Um, the other reason I go in, because my life looks clean, he said the reason I go in and minister to these people is because for something unclean to be cl- clean, something clean has to become unclean. So the only way they're going to become clean, and moms know this when you clean your children off from playing outside, something clean has to become unclean so that something unclean can become clean. And Jesus is showing that. Um, This is marvelous. Jesus, the clean one, the holy one, the holy one of God, the one without sin, the one without impurity, the only one who is ceremonially clean in the truest sense, is putting himself in union with this leper. He's putting himself in compassionate fellowship with this leper. He's saying, I am one with you. I care for you, and I'm going to take your uncleanness. I was thinking about this years ago, this idea of something clean becoming unclean so that something unclean can become clean. And I thought, you know, you have three examples in the Gospels of ceremonial laws that Jesus confronts. You have leprosy, which is what we're looking at here. Um, Secondly, you have the woman with the flow of blood, and you think of all the blood laws And the uncleanness of the blood laws, she had the unstoppable flow of blood for 12 years. She had spent all that she had on doctors, and she was no better. In fact, she became worse. And remember, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. And as soon as she does, she dries up, and she's better. And then there is uh, the little dead girl that Jesus touches. In all three accounts, Jesus touches the unclean. He touches the leper. The woman with the flow of blood touches his garment. And the little girl, he takes her hand when she's dead and says, Talitha kumi, and he raises her. In the law, you became unclean if you touched the dead. Now, I want you to think about this. On the cross, Jesus was treated as a spiritual leper. As people passed by, everything about the cross functionally said, unclean, unclean, because of your uncleanness. Everything about the cross, because of my uncleanness, shouted, unclean, unclean. It's very interesting, by the way, that when you look in Leviticus 13 and 14, there had to be a sacrifice made for the cleansing of a leper. The leper had gone to the priest, and, and in the process of the priest determining whether the leprosy was so full that this man or woman was unclean at this point, Um, There were lambs that were offered. There was a bull that was offered. And very interesting, in Leviticus, it actually says that when the bull was offered um, for the sins of the congregation, it should be offered outside the camp. That's the language, outside the camp. And when you come to Leviticus 13 about the leper, if he was deemed to be unclean, he was to be put outside the camp. Same language in Leviticus. Now, Here's how this works. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus suffered outside the camp and that we are to go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach because he took our uncleanness. He took the leprosy. He took the isolation. He took the rejection. He took the separation from God. He took the uncleanness on himself. He became Jesus. I'm going to say this this morning. If you don't think you're that sinful, then you will never get the gospel. You'll never get it. Jesus became the most unclean thing on the planet because of your sin. And my sin. And the sins of all his people imputed to him. He became the most unclean thing. Um, You can understand why people shudder in horror at the gospel. At a bloody, crucified redeemer. That's That's not 
dignified. That's not honorable. That's not socially acceptable. It's outside the camp. He suffered outside the camp. Um, Also, interestingly, he contracts the unstoppable flow of blood. Isn't that interesting? He takes her uncleanness on himself, the woman. And on the cross, he sheds his blood until he's dead. And then he dies in the place of his people. He is the leper. He is the unclean. Uh, According to the blood laws, he is the one who is death itself in the place of his people, tasting death for all of us. Now, there is this third stage uh, the leprosy has left this man. He's immediately healed. There's, there's no progressive healing. There's no less sores. When you read in Leviticus, actually the sores would be reduced, and that's how the priests would know if a man or woman somehow mysteriously were getting better. Um, it was a progressive process, and they'd be isolated and come back and back and forth. And here's the great high priest, and he can heal, and he does heal, and he heals instantly. And he cleanses this man and gives this man his life back. And notice in verse 14, he charged him to tell no one. Now, as we look at the wisdom of Jesus in law keeping, we first have to ask, why did Jesus tell? And this is not the first time. Why did he tell? um, Why did he tell this man? And why does he tell others? Don't tell anyone. That's always one of those mysterious things in in the Bible, why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to know that he's done this if he came into the world to do this? When John the Baptist is doubting in prison and, and he says, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And, and Jesus sends his disciples back to John and he says, go tell John the things that you see and hear, the blind see, the deaf hear, uh, the, the leper is cleansed. The dead are raised, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. They, they were marks of his messianic presence. He appealed to what he was doing to say, this is who I am. But here, he says, don't tell anyone. I think the best answer is that Jesus knew that the more word would circulate about his healing ministries, the more the common people would come to him for healing. And Jesus wants to emphasize that the ministry of the word was greater than the ministry of healing. And he never wanted the healing ministry that he was engaged in to take center stage. Um, That's going to happen, actually. Crowds are going to come because this man will disobey. This man will actually go and disobey Jesus, the other gospel writers tell us, so that he cannot cannot enter the towns. Great crowds come. They, they, They cram in about him because they want healing. They want the spectacular. They don't want the word. They don't want the chief thing. Now, Jesus tells this man, don't go tell anybody, but go, go show yourself to the priest as a testimony or a proof to them as Moses commanded. Now, what is Jesus doing? Why, why couldn't Jesus just have healed this man and said, son, you are whole. Go back to your family. Go back to your friends. Go back to the life that you've longed for. Go back to the restoration you have so desired and longed for. Serve me. Worship me. Continue steadfastly in the faith. Don't turn back to a life of sin. Why, why doesn't he do that? Well, there are several answers. One, 
Jesus here is the law keeper. Luke has highlighted that for us early in those chapters where he's circumcised. And as a boy, he's going to the temple. He is the law keeping redeemer. And the law had commanded that if one was cleansed, he had to go back to the priest. And the priest had to go through those rituals. And those rituals would indeed affirm that. And Jesus is saying that the law is good. Now, those laws will be fulfilled by his death and resurrection on the cross. Those laws are no longer binding on us in that same way, but, but Jesus is honoring the law that he and his Father and the Spirit had given. Um, but Jesus is also doing something very interesting. I think if that, if that man had gone out and if the people had talked about what he had done for this man which is the most spectacular thing. Remember I said the catch of fish is pretty minor. This is pretty big. Catch a fish, minor. Cleanse a man of leprosy, huge. That's massive. Um, if he had done that and not sent them to the priest, then arguably the priest and the religious leaders would have grumbled against him more, would have said he teaches against the law, he's a lawbreaker, he's, he's rogue, we don't know who he is, we don't know where he's from. This is verifying that this is the God that gave that law, who had come to redeem those who were under that law, who were condemned by that law, and to heal those who could never be healed by that law. And this is the really interesting point I want you to get here. The wisdom of Jesus in sending this man back to the priest is not just for Jesus to fulfill the law. It's not just for Jesus to disarm his enemies from speaking against him. It's for this man. You know, this man's whole life, he had been condemned by the law. Think about it. The law had said to him, you are unclean. The law had said to him, you cannot worship God. You are unacceptable. The law had said you cannot have fellowship with God's people, even though you are nationally and perhaps by way of circumcision said to be one of them. The law condemned. And what is Jesus doing now that he's healed this man? He's making him love that same law. That law that couldn't heal him. The priest couldn't heal him. The ritual couldn't heal him. No one could heal him. Jesus heals him. And the first thing Jesus does is teaches this man, now go and love the law that I have given you. Love the law of God. Love the holiness of God. Love the commandments of God. Because I've healed you. Now, simply put, Jesus does that for us. If you are one who has seen... Um, in yourself, if you felt that, if you cried out with Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you've ever felt that in your soul and you've gone to Jesus, you've experienced this cleansing. You've experienced the healing. You are just like this leper. You've experienced a supernatural work of grace, a rebirth, a renewal, a regeneration, a cleansing. And Jesus takes you and he says, now go. If you love me, keep my commandments. I've healed you. Now live in accord with my word. Live in accord with my commandments. Love the law that my Father's given you. Walk uprightly. Live a life that bears witness that I have healed you. That's essentially the takeaway for you. Um, if you are a believer and you are ensnared in some particular sin and you feel in your soul condemnation, and the evil one is accusing you, and you feel the uncleanness, and you know it's unclean, and you continue to do it, and you're backslidden. There, there's a word here for you. That same Jesus that heals that leper says, if you fall down before him and you say, Lord, I am unclean, have mercy on me. If you will, you can make me clean. And you cry out to him in abject 
poverty and helplessness and desperation, he will again heal you. He has said he will do that. He has promised. That is the compassionate heart of Jesus. He, he loves to restore his people. But I want to say to you uh, this morning, if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never recognized your uncleanness, if you're like, yeah, I do wrong things. I'm not, you know, I'm not what I should be. I'm not everything I should be. I fail. You know, I make mistakes. Um, I would plead with you to consider that God wants you to see that you are that leper, that that's you. It's not somebody you know. It's not the heroin addict in the gutter or the, the homeless guy or the prostitute. It's you. Like, that's you. That's what God wants you to see because only people that see that will flee to Christ to be cleansed will experience that cleansing, and will be welcomed into that, that new heavens and that new earth. You know, John says at the end of the Bible about heaven that nothing unclean will enter it. Nothing unclean. No spiritual lepers will enter it. Um, only those who have heard the I will of Jesus, only those for whom he has taken their uncleanness on himself to make us clean by the imputation of his righteousness and the washing of his blood. There is good news. He is a powerful Savior. He is a compassionate Savior. He is an infinitely wise Savior. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would make us to see what we are by nature, that we would acknowledge readily that we... Um, are just like this leper by nature. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would show us who you are so full of power and compassion and wisdom. We pray, our God, that you would make us to know renewed cleansing this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that we, who you have already cleansed, would know a renewal and a continual washing and would know that beautiful sanctification process in our lives. We pray for those who may never have come to you, who have never cried out in abandonment and hopelessness and desperation, that you would cause them to do so and that they might hear that great and glorious and compassionate, I will be cleansed from your lips, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would do that for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.